You know, you feel really old when somebody talks about throwbacks to the 90s. It's just like, wow, we're going way back. I was old in the 90s. We are so glad you're here today, and uh, we just uh, are glad for that. And we're, we're starting for the next couple weeks uh, a new series, and we're going to kind of be talking about this until we get into our September launch. I was reading in uh, devotions the other day, and I was in the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, 165, and it says this, great peace have they which love thy law, thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Do you ever read a scripture and just ask yourself, is that even possible? <laughs> Notice it doesn't say that nothing will be offensive, because there's plenty of that, but it says, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I don't know if you've noticed how people are so easily offended today. It's really easy. It seems like, and it seems like Christians are the most offended. I don't know. We, we set the whole bar a whole uh, another level on being offended. You, you, might, you might say that's a part of our job, right? As Jesus followers, it's our right, and we're supposed to be offended. <laughs> we... Uh, we see the wrong in the culture, and we get ticked off at it, right? Or ticketh off at it. Uh, we, get, we get, in Jesus' name, I'm righteously indignant. And I'm, I'm supposed to point the sins out of other people, because that's what following Jesus is all about, right? I'm supposed to stand up for the truth. Righteous anger. The Bible talks about having righteous anger. That's what I've tapped into. But can we just talk about this for the next couple weeks? And uh, this series is called No Offense. And today, I want to talk to you about stop being offended. Uh, and <laughs> be warned, you might be offended in what I said. So um, I remember being offended and anger kind of go hand in hand. Uh, and sometimes we've got to check and say, why am I so angry? I've used this illustration before. I remember we had our first grandchild and... Uh, Zane was just a little guy, and he was, he was like three or four, and, and he spent a lot of time with us, spent a lot of time with me, and, and I remember uh, I was on potty duty, so I'd take him in there, uh, you know, for that stuff, and I remember one time we went in there, and he's like, Papa, why are you so angry? Or why, why are you mad, Papa? Why are you mad? And I was like, I'm not mad. Why? And he goes, your face. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like, oh, wow. Uh, I realized that my face looked like I was angry, looked like I was mad. Sometimes the stuff that we carry, we just keep stuffing it down, stuffing it down, and it's just there. Another moment of transparency here. The other day, I was, I was uh, behind on a few things. Uh, I had a few unexpected stuff come up. I'm supposed to be someplace at one time. I forgot something else, and I'm running back and forth. Things aren't coming together. And I'm in my car, and I have a moment of road rage, just personally, within my car, not against anybody else, but all of a sudden, I just, I just yelled in my car. Can I be that honest with you? I just yelled. And it kind of shocked me. <laughs> I was like, who was it? Oh, that was me. And I was like, man. I had to just stop and go, boy, why am I so angry? What, what's going on here? Now, I guess you could ask the question, how could you not be offended in the day and hour in which we live? It seems like there's crazy people everywhere, right? There is. You're related to some of them. Um, and we live in Oregon. 
Anybody remember that? We live in Oregon. It is the most beautiful, charming, gorgeous, liberal, lost its mind state in the union. I mean, you drive downtown Portland and I can guarantee you're gonna be offended by something that you see. But what I don't believe is that we want to, what seems like what's celebrated is unbelievable in our culture today. And it's not so much about personal offense as it is about just looking at things. And, and you might be already pushing back in your mind, say, well, you don't know <laughs> what's been done to me, or you don't know the level of things that I have to deal with. Maybe there's been some very offensive things that hap- have happened to you, towards you, towards your children, towards your wife, towards your husband, and there's this natural tendency to be protective. But what I wanna do is to help us to maybe get over our collective offenses for a moment, if that is possible, and I believe it is, and dial into what, what does Jesus want? Now, I've been reading a, a Christian book by uh, Brant Hansen, and it's called Unoffendable. Now, for the English people in the room, unoffendable is not even a word, but unoffendable is an incredible uh, learning tool for me. And I've been spending time in this book and just looking at how we can change our mind on offense. And so this series is gonna be coming off of that book. We borrowed some ideas from there. And so I'm gonna give him the credit for that. And a lot of times when I say, this is a great book, I know somebody's gonna say, hey, where can I get it? Guess what? I've got some copies in the lobby. And if you'd like to take this home today, uh, check that out. But today, we just want to talk about stop being offended. So before I offend you anymore, let's go straight to Scripture. James chapter 1, verse 19 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, that's us, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Slow to anger. And it seems like it wasn't as hard as it is several years ago. There, was, there wasn't so many things. And minor stuff, you know, there, there was minor stuff that we just got frustrated with. Like if you got cut off in traffic or some minor thing going on in your life and, and you know, uh, uh, but all of a sudden, especially in the last decade and especially in the last couple years, the world has lost its mind and turned upside down and it seemed like everything, and I know you know this, but I have to remind you that the whole goal of media and news coverage and social media is to get you outraged. I don't know if you know that, but they don't just tell you, hey, it's going to be 80 degrees and sunny today. Yay. They want to tell you something that's going to grab you and go, oh, I cannot believe it. And you get offended, right? You get angry. They're baiting us into that. And we've got to ask ourselves, kind of like I did in my car the other day, man, why am I so angry? Why am I angry about my issue? And sometimes I'm angry about my issue, my issue. I got an issue. I'm not talking about eternal, but I've got a favorite issue that I get angry about. And then I can get angry at you because you're not angry about my issue too. <laughs> Follow me? We're easily angered. And I don't think it's, I mean, I know this is kind of a no duh, but I don't think it's pleasing to God. And I want to ask you this question. I think we need to ask ourselves being angry, how effective is our anger? How, how's that going for us? How's it going for us to be angry? Think about that for a minute. If you're easily angered, is it working? Is it making you more like Jesus? 
because last time I checked, that is our ultimate goal. Is, is, is our anger directing us towards greater intimacy with other people and connecting with them? Is our anger making us feel more freedom in our relationship with Christ? So how effective is your anger? Is it drawing other people to you? Which in turn is drawing people to Christ. And I think we all know the answer to that question. But the truth is, it's not working. Our anger is not working. And according to scripture, it's not working. In fact, I only had read half of the verse in James 1.19. The other half is this. It says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow, or slow to speak, slow to become angry. Listen to this. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger does not produce the kind of righteousness that God desires. Your human anger, no matter what it's directed at, your anger in the small offenses or your anger in the major betrayals, your anger at the opposing political view, or the guy that just makes you mad, the guy that, the person in the parking lot that's driving. You know, when anybody else is driving, they're always the idiot. You know what I mean? They make a move, they're just like, man, that guy's an idiot. And then I go to the next parking lot and I do the same thing. <laughs> but I'm not an idiot because I know what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? But whatever it is, it doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. And maybe at this point, again, as I'm working my way through this book, I start pushing back a little bit. Maybe you want to push back a little bit. And it's like, man, you know, I'm angry about the right things, Dave. I think we should be angry about the right things. The Bible talks about a righteous anger. My anger is a righteous anger because I'm angry over sin. And you might be, and there is possibly such a thing as righteous hatred against something that breaks the heart of God. But isn't it interesting, we always have a righteous anger about someone else's sin. I rarely get a righteous anger about my own sin. So, and you say, well, listen, there's examples in the Bible. Jesus was angry in the temple, right? He cleared out the money changers. Guess what? You're not Jesus in that story. <laughs> Guess who we are in that story? We're the money changers. And last I checked, just, just as an overall, you're not Jesus. <laughs> I'm not Jesus. Jesus could be righteous angry, but the Bible says that human anger does not lead to the righteousness that God desires. So guess what? Throughout the Bible, when I say, I want a righteous anger, never in the Bible does God say that's our job. It's God's job. What else does he say? Vengeance is mine. God can do it, guess what? Because he's God and we're not. Amen. Let's leave. I mean, I think if we <laughs> left at that point, that might, that might be good. But, and you know, I, again, it's easy to get anger at sinful issues. It's easier to have your heart break for what breaks the heart of God. But a lot of times, it's always directed towards somebody else's sin. And so maybe I got a self-righteous anger because I don't look back at my own. We judge their sexual sin, and I ignore my own gluttony. E. Are you offended yet? We think about our anger is justified because it's our anger, but the question I want to pose to you, and the one in this 
unoffendable book is what the Apostle Paul says. This is how he says it. He says, so when you, mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things. That's what Paul said. Do you think you will escape God's judgment, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not really realizing that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance? So the first question, I just want to know, how effective is our anger? Is it helping our situation be a better place? Is it changing people's minds? Is it bringing more joy, peace, happiness? Are we being more loving because of it? What we have to do as we are Christ followers, as we think about this, is what exactly is our goal? And I think sometimes we have to decide, in my life, what is my goal? If my goal is just to make a point, then I'm going to stand in my anger. But if my goal as a follower of Jesus is to make a difference, i got to check my anger. And I think the goal of a Christ follower is to make a difference and not just make a point. There's too many people that are out making their point. Social media, you know, Instagram, they're putting it all, they're making their point. I think Jesus is telling me, how, how about we get back to making a difference? And let me just tell you, that, and I, I want to come back to living in Oregon. I hear so many people like, oh, we got to live here. Well, you know what? God's put us here. Maybe this is a phenomenal opportunity. <laughs> God, move me out of here. Move me, move me to a red state where, where I can be with more people like me. And he goes, you know, I've got you right where I'd really like you to make a difference because Oregon needs followers of Jesus. And that's where the difference lies. The experts in the law came to Jesus one time and they asked a question. It's always interesting to hear the questions that were asked of Jesus. So many times he was asked questions. I think there's over 180 questions that were posed to Jesus. He only directly answered three of them. He didn't answer a lot. That's why he ticked them off so bad. But somebody came and said, what's the most important thing, Jesus? You tell us. What's the most important thing? Where, where, do, you, where do you draw the line? Where, what's the most important thing? And Jesus, understanding the heart of the person that's asking the question, he answered this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is like, you want to know what's really important? Love God with everything you've got. Love God with all your passion. Love God, but the way you show that love for God is by loving people, showing them grace, having some empathy, having some compassion, and showing the goodness and love for other people that God has shown us. And what I was thinking about, and I realized that you don't, you don't have to be angry to do that. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to be ticked off in your spirit to be loving to other people. In fact, I, have to my, I ask myself, like, can I be angry and still show the consistent love and grace to people? And isn't it interesting that uh, when you talk about stop being offended and don't be offended, guess who I've run into all week? <laughs> True story. I, this week, I re, people I haven't seen in years, and all of a sudden I'm right in front of them, I was like, whoa, they've offended me. 
Red, you're not one of them. But uh, I just like, they've, I, mean, I just run right in. It's like, whoa, uh, how you doing? And I was like, well, I have an opportunity right now to act offended or to fake it. Hello? I'm good at faking it. But I'm saying, okay, God, you're selling me something. You're working on something in me, and so you're giving me opportunity to genuinely just say, you know what, how are you doing? I actually care about how you're doing. I don't always do the best at that, but it's interesting this week. In as much as this morning, right before I got on stage, isn't it interesting how we have phones and how many get texts on their watches? Some things you can't, I turn my phone over because I want to focus on Jesus, but I actually got a text right before I walk up here from a guy that I have a fence against. He says, hey, thinking about you, brother. (laughs) I say, yeah, I've been thinking about you too, brother, right? This is, this is the real thing, right? Where is it getting it? Do I want to make a point or do I want to make a difference? And I think the enemy, the enemy loves it when we're just angry. The enemy loves it when we get angry. You know, the best soldiers in the military and in conflict aren't angry soldiers. They're focused soldiers. Because when people get angry, they lose their focus. And in sports... The greatest season of the year is coming up. No, it's not Christmas. It's football season, right? I love football. And I love sports in general. But in sports, especially at a professional level, if one side, the opponent, can get the other person to get angry and lose it and lose their composure, guess what? They have the advantage. The greatest athletes are able to contain that anger and play with focus, And as disciples of Jesus, how do you battle against forces of darkness? Here's the upside-down kingdom part about you lead with love, not anger. We don't win by making a point. We win when we focus and make a difference. So how do we learn to let the anger go that we might be carrying today? How do we let go of that anger and how do we overcome those offenses? I just want to give you a couple thoughts, just two thoughts today. First of all, we need to lower our expectation of others. That might sound a little bit counterintuitive. How do we learn to let go of the anger? Lower the expectation of others. What will happen a lot of times is someone is going to lie to you, hello, maybe even multiple times this week, or they're going to let you down or they're not going to show up or they're going to not say thank you for something that you should have been thanked for, and they're not going to call you back, or they're not going to be there for you, they're not going to come to your thing, and you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be incredibly disappointed. And what I want to say to you is, what do you expect? Because they're people. And let me ask you this, have you ever let someone down? Ask the closest person in your life. <laughs> Maybe not. That's a, bad, that's a bad thing. There are people and said, I can't believe that she would. I'm just shocked that they would. I never thought a Christian would. And then I remember, guess what? Sinful people do sinful things. If you start elevating your expect- expectation of others and thinking everyone is going to love you and you're never going to be hurt. You're always going to be hurt by that. And I'm not talking about living a pessimistic life. You see, the challenge is when I look at you in love, it's like, guess what? I, and I'll tell you, in this room right now, I've let some people down. I have let some people down. 
I've maybe even hurt some people in this room. Not even a maybe, it's there. And so I've got to realize that when I throw expectations on others to expect them to always be there for me, then I'm telling me that it doesn't matter how I act, it just ha- matters how. Is this just too practical? But I'm telling you, you gotta lower your expectations of others. Some people say that we might be living and we are living in the end times, absolutely. And the Apostle Paul said there's gonna be certain, certain telltale signs of the end times. And Paul says, let me tell you what people are gonna be acting like in the end times. Second Timothy 3, two to four. People will be lovers of themselves. Haven't seen that much lately. (laughs) Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, lovers, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I'm not just talking about the government. This is what we can expect of people. And again, our ultimate goal is to look at Jesus. And as I watched Jesus walk through life, he was never shocked by our self-centeredness or people around him. He never seemed scandalized by immoral behavior. He knew that they were sinful. He knew that we needed a savior. You might remember the woman at the well. Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well He's not even supposed to be talking to a woman. And in conversation, it comes up, she's lived what we would call a very immoral life. She's been married multiple times. She's living with another guy. But what was the focus of Jesus' time with her? It was not on those. He wasn't offended by that. He just was focused on what she needed the most. She needed living water. And you also look through what he had to put up with his disciples. <laughs> Sometimes when I think, man, I do such dumb things, I feel really good when I look at the disciples because, I mean, he spends all this time with them and you would think Jesus would just be pulling his hair out by the time of this, that he's done with these guys. They got in these arguments over the craziest thing. Jesus is literally facing his final days, walking towards the cross, and what are his followers talking about? They're arguing about who's gonna be the greatest. I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. And some of them even come to Jesus. One translation says, somebody sends their mom. Hey, hey, when you, get, when you get into your kingdom, can Joe be on your left and John be on your right? And Jesus is like, well, let me see. I'm planning my week out. And I die at the end. And Peter, he's, he's a classic. He's like, you know what, if nobody else is there, I'm gonna always be there. I'm gonna be, always be there. And Jesus has to be very honest. He's not outraged. He just says, Peter, let me just tell you this. By the end of this whole thing, you are gonna stab me in the back. And what did Jesus do? He, he didn't do what would just be our reaction. He didn't leave his life group. <laughs> if that had been us, like, all right, I'm out of this life group. I don't like you guys anymore. He didn't go on Facebook and go on a rant. I know that's kind of dumb. Obviously, that's not there. But it's notice the things that Jesus didn't do. He allowed his disciples to be people. And he realized humans are going to do human things. And I'm not saying that People are horrible and never trust a friend and they'll let you down every time. No, you watch what Jesus does. He forgives. 
How did he do with Peter? He knows what Peter's gonna do, but yet he embraces Peter and he forgives him and he gives him a new assignment. So if we lower expectations of others because people are sinners and we're all gonna mess up, people are gonna let you down. But here's the second thing. We gotta raise your gratitude for God's grace. So it's not just lowering your expectations of others, but we raise your gratitude for God's grace. God's grace. I would love just to see a show of hands today of all the people that have never sinned. Go ahead. I know we got kids in there that are probably like, I, I haven't, right? <laughs> never sinned, never lied, never cheated. And I love how Jesus just blows the, blows the curve out of what's important to us and what's not important. You know, because like, well, I haven't, I've never committed adultery, I've never done that. And then Jesus says, well, uh, how about this? If you just thought about it, you've done it. It's like, <laughs> okay, you know. Hey, I don't tell lies, and Jesus is like, well, you know, if you think, I've never murdered anybody, I would never take a life. And then Jesus says, well, if you hate someone, then you've, and he just blows the curve. Where does that get us? To the baseline, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that anyone can boast. And it's his grace that makes us right with God. It's not our goodness. It's not how good I can be. It's not my works. It's his grace. And I know, they lied about you. Yep, I've lied too. But he's so arrogant. Yep, and I can be arrogant too. But they stole from me. Yep, but I've stolen too. What am I saying? I am the candidate that needs God's grace. And these past few years has led to more and more anger. And it feels like it's also anger in the church. And I never want to minimize some of the things that maybe happened to you because things are going to happen that should have never happened to you. I know that a lot of you are facing some deep and significant pain. Abuse is never okay. When I'm talking about forgiveness and and no, I'm not talking about living and staying in an abusive situation. I'm not saying putting yourself in harm's way. I'm not saying that at all. But there are things that have happened that are just not fair. And no matter what I say, the level of offense, whenever we've been hurt, whenever we're angry, it always tends to get to the place that I'm right and they're wrong. I'm right and they're wrong. And it just justifies my anger, if we're not careful, our anger will justify our right to hold a stone. Anger makes me feel okay to hold this stone. It's not like I'm gonna throw it. I mean, because this could cause some damage. It's not, it's not like I'm gonna throw it, but it just kind of feels good to hang on to it every once in a while. Because of what she did to me, I wanna hang on to this stone, just keep it, just keep it ready. Just keep it handy. But I also noticed today as I was worshiping, it's, it's kind of hard to worship with rocks in your hands. Isn't it? And, and you, you, know, you know where we're going with this because the Gospel of John chapter eight, very familiar story. We've heard this story over and over. A woman, in fact, the headline of the, of, of the chapter and of this event says, woman caught in adultery. Jesus is teaching. He's, he's in the temple courts 
And here comes the religious authorities, and they're bringing a woman that's been, listen to this, caught in the act of adultery, in the very act, it says, very act. I, I, I don't want to remind you that one of the actors is not there. They just bring the woman, right? <laughs> she did not do this alone, so that's just a sidebar. Let's just set that aside. But here she comes in, caught in the very act of adultery, and she deserves judgment according to the law of Moses. She deserves to be stoned. And it says there's a crowd of men gathered around, waiting to see how Jesus is going to handle this, waiting to see if he's going to go against the law or if he's going to side with the immoral. And they're all standing there, rocks in hand. The Bible says that Jesus doesn't say anything, but he just kneels down and he starts riding in the sand. The gospel accounts, every gospel account does not ever record what he was actually doing in the sand, what he was writing in the sand. Scholars and traditions say that perhaps he was listing out the sins of the men in the crowd with the stones in their hand. That makes a lot of sense. Because Jesus says, you're angry and you wanna right this wrong. Okay, let's right this wrong, but whoever is sinless and here I got this list for you. Yeah, I, I saw what happened there for you, and I saw what happened there for you, and I saw what happened there for you, and I saw what happened. So whoever's sinless, I, you guys go ahead. You lead this, this rock-throwing party off. And the scripture tells us from the oldest to the youngest, they start to slip away. And all you hear is the drop of rocks. There's so many injustices in this world that break the heart of God. And I'm not minimizing that. It's not easy for us not to want to be righteously angry about that. But what I would submit to you today is that really angry people have a very hard time to make a difference in our world. And if we deal with enough anger at some point, Jesus is gonna come to us and say, guess what, people are gonna let you down. Maybe you just need to lower the expectations and raise your gratitude for the grace that you have received. See, the combination of those things, the fact that I have been forgiven a mountain of moral debt that I can't even see over, how can I hold someone else accountable to something that they've done for me. And I don't know about you, but it feels good just to drop the rock and say, God, I'm gonna let you deal with the righteous anger. I'm gonna let you deal with the retribution. I'm gonna let you deal with the vengeance because Jesus didn't call me and he didn't call us to be right. <laughs> Jesus called us to be loving. And when our goal is just to make a point, we forfeit our right to make a difference. And my goal is not to convey to you just my view on some peripheral issue, issue here. My goal is to help you see the love of the one that changes your life. And sometimes you think, well, <laughs> pastors don't have to go through anything, man. They live on a cloud, right? They live, they live you know, Nobody ever lets them down. Nobody ever says anything about them. 
They never go in. They got the perfect family, right? <laughs> All the visitors in the room are saying, oh, maybe he does have, don't, don't talk to anybody in the room because you will know. It was awful easy for me to talk about not dropping rocks before I wanted one in my hand. Jesus, the one that was nailed to a cross and had the ability to say, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. If anybody had the right to rip off that cross and to kick tail and take names, it was Jesus. And he says, this is what I've set for you, an example. I love the example when Jesus says, hey, hey, watch this. I've set this example, go and do likewise. You notice that after the temple, when he cleared it, he didn't say, all right, guys, now go and do likewise. This is what I want you to do. No, no, no. When did he say that? When he'd got down and humbled himself and washed their feet, including the one that was going to betray him. And he says, I tell you what, this is what I want you to do. Humble yourself. Even though you have the right and the stuff that's been done to you, said about you, is doesn't make it any less real, it's real, but because of the grace of God that's forgiven me, I can drop my rock and say, you know what? I stand before the cross just like you, and if I can receive that grace, I'm gonna afford it to you. Now, here's the deal. Anytime God orchestrates something like this, it's no random act that I happen to be reading this book. It's no random act that I happen to be talking about this today because there are people in the room or watching online and you're hurting right now. You're, you're angry right now. You're maybe holding a couple rocks right now that you have what you feel is the very right to start throwing. And I would just say, in reflection of what God has said today through his word, I would just like you to consider, maybe it's time to just let it go. Maybe it's time to just drop the rock. Maybe it's time to just do something to say, God, I want to be free from that anger, free from that resentment, free from that frustration with everything I see around me. And if that's you right now, I'm just going to invite you to stand to your feet in the room. I know that's bold, but it's bold for what Jesus did for us. Father, we just offer you right now our right that we feel to be angry. God, we just offer up right now that sense that we need justice. God, thank you that you see everything, that you weigh the motive of every heart. And God, thank you that You've given us that word that there's a blessing when we love your law. And loving your word and spending time in your word is going to bring us to a place where nothing can offend us because we're secure in the love that you have for us. And our level of gratitude for the grace that we've received is going to supersede the need to see other people be a target of our anger, our disappointment. God, help us to be so overwhelmed 
by the grace that you've given, so overwhelmed by your gift of life that it changes the way we see other people. That's the point. That's it, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we're gonna go a couple weeks in this, and I believe that God's gonna work on our heart, and it might be painful. <laughs> and uh, you've got about a week to be unoffended with me. So <laughs> there's what we call the prayer wall on the left-hand side of the room, and it's a spot where if you just need somebody to pray with you, we have people that love Jesus and would love to pray with you. I think that's important for us to do. I want to reiterate what Pastor Collins said about uh, the new renovations that are happening for our students. A couple weeks ago, we had our youth ministry and our kids ministry on the stage. We are so proud and so thankful and love our students and children and those who lead them. And I think it's fantastic when we make space where they say they value us. I think that's so important. And so would uh, you just be encouraging as you see that happen and over the next couple weeks, stay out of there and let them finish that up. And I'm so grateful for that team that has raised the money for this and planned this and is going to be executing this. I think it's going to be great. But until I see you again, here's the chance I get to say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and shine his countenance on your life and give you peace. No rocks in hand. He's got open hands towards you. Go live the life today. In Jesus' name. Hey guys, this is Pastor Dave. I just want to say thank you for joining us today for this podcast. You know, at Family Life Church, our vision is to create a safe, authentic environment where people connect with Jesus. And we don't believe it's an accident that you joined us today. You know, if this message meant something to you, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on our website at myflc.org, or you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and you can listen regularly. And I just want to say thank you and God bless your week.